It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Are you an escapee? Well, maybe not from a literal prison, but you are an escapee from a spiritual prison called corruption if you have been born again. If you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, that status belongs to you. Let me give you scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says that you and I have received exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, you need to understand that lust is not just sexual desire. The word lust means selfish desire, the tendency of the lower nature to cut God out of the equation and to focus on gratification of our lower nature and its desires. And that brings corruption inevitably. Now, let me define that term. The verb corrupt means to ruin morally to pervert. Number two, it means to destroy the purity or the integrity of something or someone. Number three, it means to contaminate. Number four, it means to cause to become rotten or spoiled. And number five, and this is powerful, to corrupt means to change the original form. See, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were filled with the nature of God. I believe when God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul, his soul was permeated with the character of God and he reflected the nature of God in so many ways. But then when he submitted to the satanic wiles that were introduced into the Garden of Eden, he became contaminated and the original form and purpose of God in Adam was changed, and he became dominated by the enemy's purpose and the enemy's character, a corrupt, dark character. See, when computer programs or files are corrupted, they are damaged and they cannot open or properly execute certain things you want that program to perform. And in like manner, now that human beings have been corrupted, they're not operating according to God's original plan. Now, biblically, the word corruption can mean, number one, the decay of the human body, but number two, it can also mean the demoralization of a person's heart and life that brings defilement, degradation, destruction, and ultimately everlasting ruin. So corruption is a very intense word in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 6, we see right before the flood came and destroyed the human race except for Noah and his family, it says that the earth also was corrupt before God, 
and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God was grieved. It should also grieve us when corruptible things enter our lives. But God has given us an escape. And it's a powerful way of escaping the grips, escaping the prison of corruption that has come into the world through lust. It seems like every generation pushes the envelope a little further. In fact, Elvis's swiveling hips have led all the way up to Madonna's lesbian kiss a few years ago and her mockery of the cross. Well, Elvis never would have gone that far. But see, each generation is corrupted a little bit more because it's like a cancerous thing. It eats away more territory and defiles the hearts of men and women to a greater degree. But God has made a way of escape. And that way of escape is his wonderful, exceeding, great, and precious promises. Let's take an Old Testament promise first, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. That passage talks about what God intended to do in the new covenant era. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Because see, it's an empowerment on the inside. The new covenant is all about shifting from external demands to internal transformation. That's why we become new creations in Christ Jesus, because we are transformed in, internally. Now, these promises that I'm about to enumerate and explain are all obtained by faith. You can live beneath your inheritance if you choose to, or you can lay hold to what is rightfully yours. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, it talks about those heroes of the faith in the Old Testament era. And it said, through faith, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, and they obtained promises. Well, you can subdue not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom, a satanic kingdom that wants to suck you in under its influence. Well, you can subdue that kingdom and work righteousness by obtaining promises. And that happens, according to Hebrews eleven thirty three, by faith. You have to maintain faith. So as I go through these promises that make you an escapee from the corruption that is in the world, dare to praise God for their manifestation. Dare to praise God for their fulfillment in your life. And of course, I can't cover all the territory, but I'm going to give you some major examples. Let's start with one of the most important, which is actually the opposite of lust, and that is love. In the Old Testament, once again, God is foretelling what's going to be possible supernaturally in the New Testament. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he said, I will circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. 
So God is promising to cut away the corruptible nature that would devour you if it could, the world system around you that contaminates the heart and the contamination of the lower nature, eating away at any potential for good in your life. God said, I'm going to cut that away. I'm going to circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God. So in other words, when God does that, when he performs this spiritual surgery, love is awakened within you. That's a promise. And Romans 5, 5 says that this hope that we have does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Thank God for the day when I was filled with the Holy Spirit because along with that experience came the infilling of the love of God that gave me a capacity to love God and to love others in a supernatural way on a supernatural level. That's what becoming a partaker of the divine nature is all about. Jesus even prayed this for us. He said in his great intercessory prayer of John chapter 17, in the conclusion of that prayer, to the Father he prayed, I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And so if Jesus has prayed his love into us, and incidentally that prayer was not only for the disciples that were alive in Jesus' day, but he said it's for all those that will believe on me through their word. And that includes you and me if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I pray that the love, Father, with which you love me may be in them. I challenge you to lift your voice, you might ought to lift your hands toward heaven and just say, I receive that gift of love, Lord. That's a promise and I lay hold to it in Jesus' name. Now, love is followed up by joy in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So let's go there right now. You have partaken of the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is not just an earthly emotion, a human emotion. It's a divine attribute. And if you're a partaker of the divine nature, joy is your inheritance. And again, I want to emphasize it's not the same kind of happiness that you see evidenced in ordinary human beings that have no relationship with God. Certainly everyone has a capacity for some level of happiness but you have the capacity for the joy of the Lord in his presence is fullness of joy. That's a promise. And therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. That's a promise. And what about Nehemiah 8.10 that I've already quoted a couple of times, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's that talking about? Well, that was the day when after 70 years of bondage in Babylon, slavery, in Babylonian bondage, they came back to the Holy Land and they were celebrating the first Feast of Tabernacles since they had been taken away from their beautiful promised land. And they celebrated first by hearing the word. Ezra the high priest stood up on a high pulpit of wood 
and just read the law, the Torah, for hours. And the people began to realize how far they'd fallen short of God's expectations. And they began groaning and moaning and wallowing in the dust and grieving before God and just heartbroken because they realized everything that had happened was their fault because of their rebellion. And Ezra, the high priest, and the subordinate priests under him waved their hands over the crowd and they said, sorrow not, grieve not, for this day is holy unto the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, God was saying through Ezra to them that rehearsing the past is only going to weaken you mentally and emotionally. But looking to the future with high expectations and faith will strengthen you internally. That's what the joy of the Lord is. The Bible said Jesus endured the cross by looking to the joy that was set before him. God gets no joy from looking back into the mistakes and errors of your past, but he does get great joy in perceiving the glory of your future as you walk with him. So you and I need to cultivate that mindset. Then I also want to give you a scripture in John chapter 15, verse 11, where Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He didn't say that you might be joyous. That would indicate just an ordinary level of joy anyone could attain to. But he said, I've spoken to you these things that my joy may remain in you. He's talking about transferring his nature into his disciples so that they can have the same level of joy that he had when he walked on the earth. Well, what was it he spoke just prior to that promise? The beginning of John chapter 15 is all about our status as branches connected to the vine. Jesus starts out in verse 3 by saying, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So they could be joyous over the fact that they had been cleansed from the contamination of the world. And then as he proceeded with this vine branch analogy, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So Part of the reason we can have joy is because we are connected to the God of the universe and the life sap that flows through the vine flows through the branches also. That's his character. That's his nature. That's his attributes, the life sap of the vine. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's not something just similar to his internal character, but it is the very character of God flowing into us. And then in verse 7 of that chapter, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. So that should cause you joy, knowing that God hears and answers your prayers. Then I love verse 9. He said, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Knowing that God truly loves you, he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an inexhaustible love, an immeasurable love, should cause great joy in your life. No wonder a few verses later, Jesus said in verse 11, 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you. You ought to lift your hand right now and say, I have the joy of the Lord because I know that I'm loved. I know that God hears my prayers. I know that I'm connected to the God of the universe in an inseparable union of covenant relationship. And I am clean from the contamination of this world. So my inheritance is the joy of the Lord. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. His joy is my joy. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. We exhibit his nature, his character. We become examples of Christ-like characteristics to others around us. Now, I want to take you into the gift of peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What is the context of that promise? And it is an exceeding great and precious promise by which we can become partaker of the divine nature. In this instance, it's the nature of peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's beyond my ability to describe in human terms. And it keeps your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Well, the context is... He just told the disciples that he was going to be going away, that there was going to be some real disastrous things happening. And of course, he was describing the crucifixion that was soon to come in the very near future, right after this statement was made. And then he said, peace I leave with you, my peace, not just any peace, but my peace I give to you. So don't let your heart be troubled. He knew that they would be very troubled through the events that would take place, his betrayal by Judas, the whipping that would take place in Pilate's hall, the horrid crucifixion on Golgotha. They would be extremely troubled and afraid, but he said, I'm giving you a gift. He said, my peace I give to you. I believe a peace settled on their spirits then as they'd never experienced before, but it was soon to become infused into their spirits on the day of Pentecost when they were born again. No wonder when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he said every time he appeared to them was, peace be unto you. And I'm sure he didn't speak in English. He spoke in Hebrew, and that would have been the word shalom. And the word shalom is a very powerful word. It's a proclamation prophetically. When you say that to someone, uh, Gentiles say powerless things when they come into each other's presence. We tend to say hi and bye. There's no power in that. But Jews say shalom, and that means peace and prosperity and wholeness and fullness. Nothing broken, nothing missing. It's a proclamation of God's best overflowing into your life. And the one who is called Yahweh Shalom in the Bible you find that name given to God in the chapter about Gideon. The Lord our peace, the God of peace, the Bible says, shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So why don't you lift your voice right now and say, I claim the peace of God in my life. It's my gift. The Prince of Peace in Hebrews, Sar Shalom, 
The Prince of Peace reigns on my heart, so his peace has become my peace. Also, righteousness is part of the divine nature that you have partaken of. Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul said it this way, I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, when you're born again, you become righteous. That's why the Bible said that you and I should put off the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, start thinking like a newborn child of God should think and put on the new man which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. See, the born-again part of you, the hidden man of the heart, the inward man, a lot of descriptions are given of that regenerated spirit that comes when Jesus comes into your heart. That new man is created righteous. That's why righteous acts and deeds and words flow out of you but you have become a partaker of the divine nature because he's infused your spirit with his righteous nature. And there's so many other things. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is made unto us wisdom. So as partakers of the divine nature, we partake of his wisdom. Authority. Luke 10.19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. I read that years ago and said, God, something's wrong. I've been hurt. I've been harmed by satanic attacks on my life. And God spoke to me such beautiful words. He said, yes, you may have been harmed temporarily, but Satan had no power to harm you permanently. Because see, God makes it all work together for your good and you rise out of the dust of failure, resurrected in Christ with new understanding, new wisdom, new knowledge, and a greater ability to live above contamination. Philippians 4.13 reveals that we're partakers of Jesus's strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Corinthians 2.16 indicates that we have partaken of the very intellect of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very intelligence of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it says we have the mind of Christ. That's why you should have prophetic understanding of things and have insight that other people don't have that are not born again. You should have flashes of inspiration that come from the mind of Christ. That's part of your promise of being a partaker of his divine nature. And that includes soundness of mind because Jesus' mind was not and is not subject to mental breakdowns, to manic depression, or to all the hosts of fear-filled phobias that psychologists and psychiatrists talk about. 
God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's your gift and so much more. But I believe the greatest thing is the fact that you have been delivered from corruption spiritually now, but you're headed to a total ultimate deliverance that will deliver you physically. See, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 54 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah for that. No wonder the whole creation groans, the Bible says, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's Romans 8, 21. See, corruption is not only our plight as human beings in this world, but corruption is overflowed into the creation itself. But one glad day, one glorious day, corruption is going to be canceled by the power of God, not only in us, but in creation as well. And I have one last scripture 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Now when all things are made subject to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, the Father, that God may be all in all. What that scripture means is a mystery. Let me repeat it. When all things are made subject to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In other words, that the nature of God might manifest in completeness in every son and daughter of God for all eternity. What that fully means, only God knows. How that will affect us, we will find out one day. But on my way that direction, I'm going to quote 2 Peter 1.4, that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Yes, we are escapees. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. 
We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 